All right, so we are launching into a new sermon series for the next four weeks um, that we are calling So That. Um, We're looking at these foundational statements that we find in the Gospel of John. And this series is pairing with our giving campaign this year um, that we're launching into, which is called our Faithful Foundation Campaign. And the idea is that um, we're wanting to build up a good foundation so that we can live into a faithful future. Um, And while the campaign is very, very much focused on um, our financial relationship with the church, it's also kind of a more holistic approach to discipleship, which includes what we call our four G's uh, here at St. Peter's. And they're kind of like our expectations for covenant membership with St. Peter's, which is uh, to gather, to grow, go, and give together. And these four G's are these uh, things are kind of a container that help guide us in how we want to live out our discipleship um, in Christ so that we can live into our mission of connecting the world with God's love. And so this idea of doing these certain things so that uh, something else can occur, right, is very, very rooted in Scripture. And we see that um, throughout John's Gospel. And that's, in fact, what we're going to be exploring over these next four weeks. So if you have uh, your Bibles with you, we're going to go to God's Word together. I'll ask you to get those out, um, keep them handy with you. If you don't have a physical Bible and you would like one, um, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will come and bring one to your chair. Um, If you would rather follow along on a phone or a tablet, that's perfectly fine. I always give the disclaimer that you won't get in trouble for being on your phone during church. Uh, And then the words are also going to be on the screen for you to follow along as well. If you don't have a Bible at home, I would also love to give you one after the service. Just a gift uh, from me to you, from the church to you. Um, just something that you can uh, continue to dive into more um, at your time at home um, individually, that you can take this to uh, Bible studies, coffee shops, wherever it is, to continue to, to dive in to God's Word more. Um, and, and we can do that together uh, and independently on our own. So if you don't have one, please come find me or any of our Connection team members after the service. Uh, we'd love to give you one. Uh, We also have journals available in the back as well and pens for you to take notes. Um, So use those resources as you will. All right. So we are going to be in the Gospel of John today in chapter 13 and looking at verses 12 through 17 today. Uh, John is the fourth gospel text in your New Testament. So um, if you go to the the New Testament of your Bible, kind of like the latter half of your Bible, um, then it's the fourth book uh, from the beginning. So past Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll hit John. Um, You can also go ahead and bookmark Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That one's a little easier to find. It's the very first book in your Bible. Um, So we'll be chapter 12, 1 through 3. So you can bookmark that for later. So while you're turning there um, and turn to John um, first, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of foundational statements in Scripture. So first, um, a quick little Greek lesson for y'all. Excited? Yeah? Greek? Yay! All right. You're going to be like, it's all Greek to me, right? Um, Okay. So the phrase, so that, um, sometimes translated as just that, and so the so is implied, which we'll find today, which is funny because we're we're like launching this sermon series and it's so that because it's so that statements and it's like, but it doesn't say so that. It just says that, right? So you're like, where's the so? Don't worry. It's the same Greek word, okay? It's the Greek word hina, okay? Hina. 
Um, This word is used in the New Testament 667 times, which is a lot. Like, that's a lot for a word um, that's not just a, a regular, like, he, she, it, right? Like, for those kind of words. For a word, for a phrase like this, so that to be used 667 times, that stands out to biblical scholars. <clears throat> and they're all used for these like foundational imperative kind of statements throughout scripture. We're looking at four of them of the 667 through this series. But clearly the gospel writers and the writers of the epistles and the New Testament were trying to make a point by using this word over and over, by using this phrase over and over. Uh, they're urging people throughout, these, uh, throughout their writing to believe the truth of Christ and live according to Christ's teaching so that they would be saved. And John's gospel, I think, is the most explicit about this um, in comparison of the gospel writers. The word hina occurs in John's gospel 145 times. So you can see it there, 145 times. <clears throat> Just so you can see comparatively, um, John with the other gospel writers, right? Matthew uses the imperative phrasing 39 times. Mark uses it 64 times. And Luke uses it 46 times. So John makes these types of statements over twice as much as any of the other gospel writers. And I think that that fact right there alone gives us a really good understanding of what John wanted to do in his writing, why he wanted to write this gospel account, right? He wanted these words to be compelling and convicting and transformative to everyone who hears them. He wants the people who were going to read this gospel to be inspired to live differently, to see that there are no meaningless actions in our faith, but that each next step that we take in deepening our discipleship is done so that we might continue on a path of faithfulness and righteousness and leave a faithful legacy for others, right? That each thing that we do is part of a faithful foundation. So we're going to read these words of John um, in chapter 13, 12 through 17 together. He writes this, um, and this is uh, Jesus he's talking about. He says, After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, something that is incredibly important to know about this passage is the context of where it falls in the gospel story. So this happens at Jesus' last supper with his disciples, which is on the night before he is crucified, just before he's going to be arrested to go be taken away and then eventually um, give his life. And in fact, it's just before this that John reveals to us that Jesus knows that one of his disciples 
is going to betray him. So knowing this, Jesus gets up from the table where they're all gathered together and begins washing all of his disciples' feet. Now in Jewish culture, uh, foot washing was part of a, a ritual act of purification. So this is something that you, have, you will have seen throughout Scripture um, from the very early um, times of the ancient Israelites, this, this ritual act of purification. But uh, in, this, in this area of, of the world and also in this time, right, in most homes, this was also just part of their regular coming and going. That uh, because of the, the dirt that would be collected in their sandals and on their feet. So many homes would have a place for guests to uh, wash their feet or those living in the home to wash their feet um, before entering in. <clears throat> in homes that were a little bit uh, on the wealthier side, typically had a servant who would wash the feet of all who would enter. So washing someone else's feet, right? Not your own, but washing someone else's feet was considered a pretty lowly act, right? The act of of a servant. Um, And one that a rabbi or a teacher or religious leader of any kind would really never be seen doing. And so here is Jesus, right? The rabbi, the teacher of these 12 disciples, the son of God, of God, right? And by this time, the disciples know this. They know that he's the son of God. They proclaimed that he's the son of God, but they still don't fully understand what exactly that means yet. And Jesus goes around to every disciple, even the one that he knew was actively planning to betray him. And he takes on the role of a servant to wash their feet. Jesus says to them in verses 13 through 15, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So Jesus tells them, look, I'm blessing you now so that you can go and bless others. This is going to be your legacy forever for everyone who meets you from here on out. This is your legacy, a legacy of blessing. Now, while John is is writing about how God is doing a new thing, right? This is kind of the testament of a new thing that God is doing um, for all people through Jesus. The idea of being blessed to be a blessing is not a new concept at all. In fact, it takes us all the way back to the first book of the Bible. So you can turn to Genesis uh, into chapter 12. Um, You can flip over there now, and we're going to read a little bit of that as well. This is a text that's kind of part of a larger passage in Scripture known as the call of Abraham. Um, And Abraham is essentially the father of Judaism because it's with Abraham that God establishes his covenant Uh, that will be for all people who are part of Abraham's family. And eventually, they would become the Jewish people. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And the one who curses you, I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So part of God's original call to Abraham, right, the father of of the Jewish people, um, and to all people in, in his lineage thereafter, it contains that same imperative statement and word, hina, right, that we're looking at throughout John's gospel. So that, right, so that. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will rise you up as a great nation, right, so that you can be a blessing. And he concludes with the goal that in you all the families of earth shall be blessed, right? So this is the goal. This is like when we look ahead that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you because I'm blessing you now so that you can be a blessing and then everybody will be blessed, right? It's always been God's plan for God's people to be blessed so that they can be reflections of the divine presence of God in the world for all people. But if you continue reading in Scripture uh, beyond Genesis, it's pretty evident, right, that it's not like everyone just gets happier and happier and things get better and better and better all the while, right? So what happened? What happens? Well, humans. Yeah, humans happen, right? Like humanity. Humans have this way of hearing the first part of that covenant, right, and forgetting about the last part. They hear like... I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And we're like, okay, yeah, sounds great. Love that. I'm totally about that, right? And then it's like, you know, the the last part, we kind of just tune out, where it's like, so that you will be a blessing to other people. And we're like, oh, yeah, doesn't sound as fun, right? Humans tend to want all the things, right? We want all the things, but we don't want to give from what we have been given. It's this self-preservation that we have struggled with forever. It's the sin of greed, which we really don't like hearing. We really don't like to think about that. It's this constant struggle for humanity. As I was thinking about uh, this sermon and this context and all of that, uh, typically I don't really have a lot of like stories from my personal life that I feel like Um, connect well with kind of what we're talking about. But as soon as I started reading this, uh, this scripture and started diving into this, I was like, oh, I know exactly what story I'm going to tell. So about 10 years ago, um, Justin and I were still like early on in, uh, in our marriage. And ever since Justin and I started dating, um, he just always has had this, this funny little habit of if he has a dollar, like a dollar bill, um, he will go to a gas station and buy a scratch-off. Like, it's just a thing. He's always done it. Since we were in college, he'll just go buy scratch-offs. Um, and so there's one day that it was, you know, about 10 years ago, um, he came home from work, and he had had two $1 bills. And he was like, hey, hey, I, I bought a scratch-off at, um, at, at my lunch break today at the gas station, and I got you one just for fun, you know. It's just like his fun little game that he plays. Now, don't ask me how many $1 bills he's probably spent in scratch-offs. I don't, I don't want to know either. Um, but he, so he gives it to me. He's like, here, you scratch it off, right? So then uh, as I'm starting to work on this little scratch-off, he's like, you know what would be so cool is if one day 
if we won like the, the full prize on one of these $1 scratch offs and then we just like, it's money we weren't expecting to come in or anything. And then we can just like go be one of those people that like go blesses other people with it. He literally said this guys, he literally is having this conversation with me. We could just be, you know, like we could bless other people with it. We could go leave a huge tip or just like find someone who just really seems like they're really down and out on their luck or like someone who's working like a really late shift somewhere, you know, like just go bless them with this money. Like, wouldn't that be so cool? And I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome. Oh, hey, we won $3. Oh, wait, that's, that's a comma. And I was like, we won $3,000 on a $1 scratch off. It was like the, one of the most incredible moments of my life. Just like the rush, the excitement. And he goes, oh my gosh, we can do it. We can go, we can go be those people that blesses other people with this money. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a minute. We had just been talking about taking a trip to Europe. You know, I'm like, these are plane tickets, baby. Like, you know, this, this is what's going to happen with this money. Uh, fast forward, I have no idea what happened with the $3,000. But I know that, uh, that that greed just instantly set in. It was like instantly just like, no, no, no. This is not money that we're going to give to other people. Why would we do that? Why would we not fulfill all these things that we want to do? with this money. And I know that the government took like half of it back anyway. But what I learned from this experience, now looking back, is that giving and great generosity, oftentimes it takes discipline. It takes practice, right? You kind of have to keep growing in it. It's a growing edge for most people by just pressing in and increasing our generosity step by step. Sometimes it's not going to be, yeah, let me give the whole lottery earnings away, right? Like it's step by step. But there's steps that we are absolutely called to make. And each one of these steps helps us venture out of the territory of the sin of greed, right? And into this light of generosity that God calls us to. And I think that we see this all the way from Genesis to John, and beyond, and beyond in the Bible. And if you look at both of those passages that we read this morning, in conjunction with one another, I think that we see three main things that affirm this. And so I want to talk about these three things for this uh, last part of our time together. And the first thing is that God calls us to follow him into blessings. That's the, the first thing. God calls us to follow him into blessing. So it's clear in Genesis that God calls Abraham right off the bat, right? To go where he is calling him to go, right? In verse one, God says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, right? He's calling him away from his comfort zone in order to live into the blessing that he has for him, right? Out of the comfort zone, maybe step by step, but to live into the blessing that he has for him and a blessing that was intended so that he can bless others. And Jesus instructs his disciples kind of uh, the same way, right? He's called them way out of their comfort zones, and now into a life of humility and a life of service. He says in verse 17 of this passage in John, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So following God is our source of blessing. 
Now, it's worth saying, um, and we need to remember this, that the word blessing that is used here um, in the Greek and as well as in the Hebrew, um, that this word is used pretty interchangeably in Scripture with the word happy. It really just translates mostly as, as happy, right? Um, so this doesn't mean when he says that, that you'll be blessed, right, or that we're wanting to receive blessing, it doesn't mean that, it, that you're going to have all the things that you've ever wanted, right? Like that's not what we're saying here. It means through this discipline of following hard after Christ that the desires of your heart will change to be aligned with the desires of God's heart. So God calls us to follow him no matter what that means, no matter where it takes us in order to receive the blessing and happiness that can only be found in him. And the second thing that I think um, we see here is that the goal is to bless all people, right? The goal is to bless all people. This is uh, evident, I think, in both passages that we read, right? In Genesis, uh, God tells Abraham in verse 3, I will bless you or I will bless those who bless you, right? And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So at first, it sounds like only the people who deserve the blessing, right? Who deserve to be blessed will experience God's love and blessing. But then he continues on and he says this. He says, all the families of earth will be blessed, right? It means that they, all the families of earth will be blessed in their relationship with God's people. That the goal is transformation, right? Transformation through experiencing the blessing of God's love that's experienced through our interactions, oftentimes, with one another. And in the Gospel of John, this also stands to be true. That, that Jesus tells his disciples to do for one another what he has done for them. It's not explicitly about foot washing, right? Like this is not, it's not just about go and wash your neighbor's feet. Some of your neighbors may not really like that, so I wouldn't recommend trying it. Uh, but remember, this is, this is uh, an act of, of service, right? Serving others. Remember in this context, though, that Jesus knew that one of his disciples was actively planning to betray him. And he still washed the feet of every disciple. He still bent down in humility and blessed each of his disciples this way, right? Even though none of them, none of them actually deserved for their rabbi and teacher to wash their feet, right? But he does this to show them how he wants them and us to go out and do the same for all people. It's not about us. It's about God, right? And the third thing that I think that we see here is that we are not called to bless so that we will be blessed, right? That's not what this is about. It doesn't work that way. Now, some people will preach this way, some people will give this prosperity gospel. They'll tell stories of how they started tithing and then they saw all kinds of promotions and now they drive a really fancy car and they live in a big fancy house, right? You will hear stories like that, but scripture does not necessarily affirm this. It, that's not what scripture is telling us. That's not why we're doing it. Scripture tells us 
that we have been blessed. Scripture tells us that God has extended blessing to us already, and it's so that we can be a blessing to others. It's not a retroactive thing, like wait, you know, wait until after, you know, and then you're going to get the, the next promotion, and you're going to get more, and, and then you'll be able to get, right? Like it's not this retroactive thing. It's a proactive thing. We are called to bless because we have already experienced God's abundant blessing in our lives, that it manifests for us in different ways, right? And not, not, not all of us are going to have the same uh, experience of, of blessing, of this abundant blessing. But God has abundantly blessed every single one of us through his acts and through Jesus Christ. And as we do as God has called us to do, as we press into this more and more, that blessing continues to overflow in our lives. I think we see in both the Genesis passage and the one in John that that is clear, right? That God wants us to use uh, us for his plan, right? To transform and redeem the entire world. And so he continues to pour his blessing out on us and this blessing of the Holy Spirit on believers so that we can be part of the redemptive work in every facet of our lives. And so when we, I think as believers, when we see all the blessings that we have as blessings from God, that should be transformative for the way that we see every part of our lives. And that's John's goal, remember? Right? To, to compel and to convict and to transform. That when we see our lives through the lens of John's gospel— that it changes the way that we see everything. So there's not one area of our lives that should be untouched by this, right? That the discipline of following after Christ is holistic, right? It's, it means that, that we must be faithful stewards of what God has given us through our own generous giving, Right? That means that rather than allowing that sneaky sin of greed to come in and take hold in our lives, which it will try to do, it will try to do, but we are called to combat that with steps in generosity, walking the other direction. And it's something I think that we all really need to reflect on. We're all humans, and we see how this has affected humanity since the beginning. And so we are called to reflect on this, to check in on ourselves about how are we withholding God's gifts, right? How are we withholding God's gifts for ourselves rather than letting them flow freely from us generously so that we can bless others? How are we living with a tight fist when we have been called to live with open hands. Jesus tells his disciples after he washes their feet, he says, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus led by example. And now he calls us to live his example in this world. And that is something that we take steps in all throughout our lives. So friends, I pray 
that we would seek to take the next faithful steps in our own giving, that each individual, that we would reflect on that, that we would be alone with God, spend some time with our families to talk about what that means, what that faithful next step means for us in our giving, so that we as a church, right, at St. Peter's, can continue to be known as faithful followers of Jesus Christ to serve and welcome our neighbors as we connect the whole world with God's love. May it be so, friends. Let us pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done, for all the ways that you have blessed us, so that we can be ambassadors for your kingdom in this world. Lord, we confess that so often we allow greed to dictate our choices and we withhold the blessing that we've been given. Rather than sharing generously as you have taught us and shown us yourself by sending your son Jesus to give all of himself to bless us, to save us, we choose so often to allow the sin of greed, to allow our own ambitions to take hold. So Lord, I pray that you would let us live by your example, that you would compel us, that you would convict us, that your spirit would transform us, so that we would be a people who are known for our radical giving, to bless others in your name. And it's the holy and blessed name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.